This is a When Walls Can Talk network podcast. If you're like me and have had an interest in creating your own podcast but don't really know where to get started, let me tell you about Anchor. Anchor is the completely free creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Once you've finished recording, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard across all podcast streaming platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership right from your very first episode. It's everything that you need to make and distribute a podcast all in one place. To get started, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hi, my name is Jeremy Haig, psychic medium, tarot reader, and proud nerd of the occult and the spiritual. I've been talking to the dead since before I can remember. Hearing their stories and listening to their lessons radically changed my life and taught me to become more curious and peel back the layers of the world around me. On this podcast, I invite you on a journey as we discuss spirituality hot topics with specialists and practitioners from across the witchcraft community, pull and explore monthly collective tarot readings, and recount lost or forgotten paranormal stories from around the world. This is When Walls Can Talk, the podcast. God, it's so good to see you. It's, it's good been to see so you. Long. I miss you. I know we need to get together soon. <laughs> this is Shale, the cohort of our illustrious Cheyenne, the aka the other half of Ouija Boards and Midnight Marks. What have you been up to? What's been happening in your life? Um since our well, listeners saw you last. Because they saw you at the beginning. Like Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like, has it been a year? It's been almost well, I guess it was it was April, wasn't it? Which is oh my nuts. gosh. That's wild to just think about. There's yeah. so much that's gone on. No, I know. Well, I have a very busy day job. I'm a government employee in the daytime. Our so it's just been, yeah, in my muggle life, exactly. Um, so yeah, a lot, lots been going on in that space, keeping me busy through the summer. Yeah. Um, but this fall, I feel like a lot of really beautiful things are starting to happen. I'm starting to feel a lot more. I don't know. I don't. I want. I don't want to say balance. I, I heard on a podcast I think the other day if anyone listens to the mythic medicine or not mythic medicine that's what they go by on Instagram but um the medicine stories podcast okay huge fan okay um by Amber Magnolia Hill um but they were talking about balance and balance is never something balance and healing is never something that you ever get to it's not like an end point right it's a constant state of something that you're working on so I feel that a lot this this season and 
um, just leaning into what that is and, and knowing that there's never going to be an end point, but that's okay. And that yeah. we're always in the state of kind of flow and evolution. Um, so that's been a lesson, but yeah, uh, started the fall with my honeymoon three years late. As <laughs> it finally happened. It did. Um, so yeah, we finally did that. We went to Ireland, which was a magical trip, but then otherwise I'm just trying to really lean into the restful period of fall and really starting to enjoy winter. I'm getting back into things like cold, wild swimming. Um, never thought I would enjoy that. Yeah. I, first of all, I hate getting up early and I get up and do it before work a couple of days a week. And I hate being cold, like absolutely freaking hate it, but you can find the t- <laughs> I hate and all of a sudden it's like this blissful joy <laughs> of love. <laughs> That's incredible. I love that. Yeah. Um, so just try to get out in nature as much as possible. Yeah. Think into the season and yeah. Just I really, kind of- really feel what you were saying about balance and just kind of development being a continual process. I it's something that's kind of come up a lot in the past couple of years as every time that I look back at where I was a year before, I don't recognize myself kind of thing. Mm. And in a beautiful way, like it's awesome and it's exciting and it's invigorating. And, but at the same time, as you get older, you start to more and more realize that that's probably always going to be the case. Like you're probably always going to not recognize the you from, and like, it's always going to continue to evolve and develop. It's, it's kind of helped me find a little bit of freedom of like, I don't have to have everything together that I, have set up the, the 11 year old in me looking at 30 year old me and saying, these are all the things we need to have, which was very much a thing for me. Uh, shocking as a Capricorn. I know <laughs> me having deadlines and like checklists. No, but I just really feel that deeply. Cause it's something that I've caught myself having like long internal thoughts about uh, mm-hmm. just that idea of like, it's always going to move and it's always going to change and it's going to be but like, I also wouldn't have it any other way. I was going to say, right. Like that, that's the thing about it is thank goodness. Yeah. Right? Because even if I look back on who I used to be, there's little nuggets. I think of yourself that you take along the way. Yeah. Right. But at the end of the day, you're always going to be you. It's just a different type of you. Yeah. So I think that's, that's really beautiful. And I've, it's interesting you say that too, because I've been thinking a lot about my 12 year old self and what she really who I am today. And yeah. I think there's elements that she would be excited about and elements that she'd be like, you know, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, no, together? absolutely. But I think that's just life, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think being able to notice the growth is also what makes it yeah. worth, like makes life worth living. And it's, I feel like that's such a funny, like little phrase to say, but like, so it's just those moments of like, oh my God, I, re- I recognize that me six months ago couldn't have made whatever decision I'm making in this moment that I recognize to be the better choice for me or whatever, like those, those moments, those little checkpoints of like, wow, I just noticed my growth. Those moments where you can give self-congratulations. I think those um, are the ones that I'm working on right now because I'm really good at the ones where like, well, that hasn't changed in six months and I wish I had, you know, um, no, I just really feel what you were sharing. I really do. Totally. Um, And actually I, I feel like I really learned that lesson or had that wisdom shared with me in Ireland. Um, and I actually shared this story. So it was on our um, first episode of Ouija Boards and Midnight Marks, which I believe this episode will be out after that one. So we talked yeah, about just that. afterwards, just afterwards. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so definitely go by, go check out uh, Ouija Boards and Midnight Marks is returning slash has returned. 
for season three. Finally. <laughs> We're so excited to have you guys back. I'm so excited. I love the magic and the wisdom that you two bring independently and together. I think it's going to be awesome. But oh, um, all that to say that you will be talking more in depth on kind of this this homecoming that you had by returning uh, returning to a place you've never been, which is a, a wonderful concept. Oh, I, think. I love that. Yeah, returning <laughs> to a place exactly I've never what been. what it felt like. So if you're looking at the title, we're diving into a beautiful, very specific space of magic. Perhaps, I don't know, arguably maybe one of the most ancient. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, maybe that's a bold, it's a bold claim, but, um, and that is the world of herbalism and the magic that is plants and herbs. I'm excited because it, to be honest, this is one of the areas of like this, a spiritual path of folk magic of the witch path that I probably know the very least about. So I just want to really quickly touch on uh, what you said about arguably that herbalism could be the oldest or one of the most ancient forms of magic. And I would agree with that. Um, And the reason I say that is because we as human beings, if you look back thousands and thousands of years, um, our survival depended on our relationship with the land. Yeah. And understanding how to fit into that network because we're not separate from the land. We're not separate from earth as much as like modern society would want you to think so. Yeah. We're very much interconnected. We're all part of the same network and we all depend on each other. You know, the plants depend on us just as much as we depend on them. And it's this reciprocal relationship. And so I think one of the earliest forms of magic is really connecting with plants on a spiritual level, in addition to what they can do for our physical body and our physical nourishment, but understanding our place in the world was really done through our understanding of how we interact with plants. So um, just wanted to validate your argument there. Thank you. No, thank you. Cause as soon as I said it, I was like, I don't know that that's true, but when you, when you say that, it, of course it's true. It's one of the earliest resources that man uh, or early man or whatever, wherever we came from that we would have had available to us. Yeah. And that's what magic really is at the end of the day, right? It's not Harry Potter type crazy stuff. It's, it's an exchange of energy, right? And that's what our interaction with plants really is, is an exchange of energy in a very intentional and meaningful way. So yeah. For all of our kind of aspiring or inquiring or new witches out there, If I was to ask you with no context, no background, what is herbalism? It's, it's a big question, but uh, I just was curious kind of what, what is herbalism to you and what does it mean? Yeah. Wow. That is such a big question. And it's so funny because up until we were really prepping for this episode, I haven't really asked that question of myself that directly. Like what is herbalism? Yeah. Oh gosh, there's so many different answers I feel like we could have for it. Yeah. I mean, I guess in the most basic form, herbalism is working with plants in such a way that we can uh, seek healing. It's a form of healing modality. So we work with plants in a physical, emotional, and spiritual way to bring that nourishment to our bodies, to bring that, that healing. Yeah. 
I guess taking it a step further, herbalism to me is so much more than that. I think plants have so much more to offer than just the the physical healing of our bodies, or even the the emotional and and mental well-being of our bodies as well and our spiritual self. But I think plants have so much more to teach us. And I think to me, herbalism is a state of constant learning and receiving gifts in that way from the plants as teachers themselves. They are our most ancient teachers, if you really think about it. And we have so much lessons to learn when it comes to things like even just having an understanding of a reciprocal relationship with nature. And what I mean by that is in today's society, we, we do so much taking, right? And we don't really know how to give back anymore. We, we take from the land, we take from nature, we take resources. When you even think about the term natural resources, right? Mm, which, yeah. Which is so interesting. Because no, that's my, true. I never thought about that. Yeah. And, and, and we've, we've kind of reduced nature down to that. It's just, it's just a resource. And it's really kind of funny to think of it that way because my, my husband and myself are both children of parents that worked in natural resources agencies. So it's been like kind of a really interesting development in our adult life, like coming to, to balance yeah. those two things of what does conservation really mean if we're looking at nature as, as a an resource? available resource? Yes. Interesting. <laughs> it's super interesting. But yeah, I, I think, I think that's an element of herbalism is, is learning what nature has to offer us and what lessons we can take from that, but also how do we give back to the land? Um, yeah. And then herbalism is about stewardship too. So how do we using the, the tools and resources that are available to us, make sure that the land is going to be healthy, happy, and thriving for future generations to come. But also herbalism, especially for me is about ancestry. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people of European descent, especially, and this is what drew me to my apprenticeship, Tanya, I, I'll be talking a lot about her tonight. I'm sure I've met um, her and I love her. She's, she's an incredible teacher. I rave about her all the time. <laughs> I think she knows how much I love her and I'm so grateful for her, but I think that's what I kind of have sought out as a mission for myself because especially us of European descent, especially us of European descent living in places like the United States. And I don't want to speak for everybody, but I think there's a lot of people like myself who have experienced generational loss or yeah. um, ancestral trauma as a result of, you know, our ancestors coming to places like this and assimilating to the culture or practicing in things like colonization and contributing to trauma of First Nations peoples. And and there's a lot there, right? Yeah. And so for many of us, it's, it's actually kind of sad. And, I, and I've talked about this on Ouija boards and Midnight Marks, but we, a lot of us can't really trace back to even beyond our great grandparents. We don't know what our lineage looks like. And so at one point, all of us, regardless of where you came from, were indigenous. At one point, all of us lived in a society where we were in connection with the land. We, we lived by the moon cycles and we depended upon our relationship with the plants and we understood the seasons because it was integral to our, our survival, but yeah. also our sense of spirituality, right? That, that's, that was our religion at yeah. one point. And so I think by connecting with the plants, it's a way of connecting to that deepest, most ancient part of yourself and healing that lineage. And so that's something that I'm really trying to connect to is 
how did my ancestors and those who came before me connect with the plants of their land? And how can I bring that back to modern times and, and fit that into kind of the way that we live today and, and revitalize those kind of principles in our life, if that makes sense. So that but was a very long answer. That was a question. stunning answer. Do not apologize. <laughs> that was gorgeous. I could never, but I also think you've like beautifully explained kind of what herbalism is, why so many people subscribe to or are in, or, or in, are curious or inquiring around, I think, especially now, I think there's something about, and I don't want to get into it too in depth because that could like take us into a whole other episode, honestly. Um, <laughs> but like looking, looking at what mankind resorted to during quarantine, mm-hmm. when we like returned to making bread, we returned to making, to yes. planting herbs and caring for them. I, I, I sense, and I hope this is not just my naivety, my naivete or whatever. I'm, I hope that like we've found something again and that I hope that it sticks, but. Yeah. And, and just touching briefly on, on what you said about quarantine, um, there actually was uh, trends that people could see where people developed a really strong interest in herbalism, like herbalism courses online went through the roof and there was like more registrations than we've ever seen. And really, and yeah. And there was things like you're saying, like people got really into sourdough and stuff yeah. like that. Like I was totally one of those people. Yeah. Oh I no, think, totally. I think, um, there's a couple elements there. I think first of all, people were like, wow, you know, we live in a society where if we have to learn or if we, you know, with like supply chain losses and stuff like that, like if we have to live this way, it's probably really important to learn these really basic skills that none of us thought were important anymore. Right. I think that was one element of it. People got into gardening for that same reason. Backyard chickens went through the roof again. (laughs) Hello, here I am. (laughs) (laughs) But also I think um, people recognized that we have become disconnected from our sense of community and returning back to that with the, the social isolation and everything. And so I think I think there's something deep within all of us that we have suppressed for a really long time about, you know, all of us remember what that was like, right? There's a very ancient part of us that remembers what it was like to live in a society like that. And so I think because of what we experienced through COVID, it drew that out of so many of us of, okay, what if we lived a different way? Yeah. You know, and I think seeing things like people buying backyard chickens or getting interested in in gardening or herbalism again was that kind of returning to that longing that so many of us are feeling and trying to alleviate that. But yeah, I just wanted to kind of touch on that a little bit because I do think it was an interesting phenomenon. And as much as COVID was a horrible, horrible thing and continues, it's it's not over as much as we all kind of want to pretend that it is. Yeah. As much as uh as much as there was so much bad things that happened around it, I think the really beautiful thing was there was a lot of awakening to the way things were before COVID happened. were not the way that we want to live necessarily. And we're not necessarily societal standards that were healthy or contributed to our happiness. And I think a lot of people are waking up to the fact that there probably is a different, better way to live. And hopefully that continues on. Hopefully you know, that's my prayer for the world, I guess, is that we don't go back to normal yeah. um, because normal wasn't, wasn't that great. Or sustainable. <laughs> yeah. It's whether, sustainable. whether for the, whether for the earth or for individual energetics, like the, like our right. energy, our own 
Like we can only be so many places. We can only carry so many things at one time. Same with the earth. The earth can only, uh, everybody loved the videos of like dolphins returning to the canals of Venice. And like, there was a certain amount of like earth healing a little bit, which was beautiful to watch while also holding space for how traumatic that was for many. Yeah. I think it goes back to that concept of both. And which is another thing that um, I really learned a lot about from Tanya of doesn't have to be one way or the other, right? Like we can hold space for trauma and darkness and all of the really awful things that happen and, and hold ourselves in that space of grief, but also recognize that sometimes we have to, we have to go through trials like this to understand that we need to have a different way and to wake us up out of that and pursue forward and, and see that progression. But both things can happen in the same container, right? Yeah. They don't have to be separate from one another. Oh, it's so interesting also how much the more I'm realizing more and more already in the first like half hour that we've been chatting that the languaging and the containers and the approach that you and Tanya and your work with herbalism directly applies to the work that I've done with Lindsay in tarot in terms of the way you approach it as a tool in terms of the way that you respect it and commune with it and work with it and talk about it and teach about it. It's I'm I'm kind of tickled actually a little bit. Do people still say that? I don't know. I just, I mean, we can, let's, let's bring, we're bringing back all the other things. Like that's like, but that's like the best, like that's the only description I can. It's like, it's like, it's so funny. I'm like, we can uh, bring back things like the bees knees too, while we're at it. Let's do it. Oh my God. (laughs) Who's in the bees knees a drink too. That's like honey I don't know, whiskey. but if it is, like, we need to have it on OBMN. I was like, I think it's like honey and whiskey and lemon and something. I don't know. It's really, I, I think it's a drink. That sounds like a perfect drink. It really does. <laughs> no, it really does. <laughs> I would love to know a little bit more about where your personal journey began into the exploration of plants and the magic of herbalism and kind of all that's encompassed in that space. Yeah. So I love to joke about the fact that I was like this feral little child, something (laughs) I, (laughs) something I deeply appreciate about my parents, um, especially when I was really, really young is, you know, I was, I was raised by like a mountain man of a father (laughs) Um, and he, he came from several generations of folks who lived in Montana and were living in the mountains and living like a ranching wild west kind of lifestyle. And my, my father has like this really beautiful relationship and love for nature. And he really instilled that in me really young. And up until I was about like six years old, he would, you know, totally let us kind of run freely. Like we lived out in the middle of nowhere and, you know, we could, we had miles and miles and miles to, to Rome. And, um, my brother and I, we would just like trek off on our little, like, remember those little electric Jeeps that they had in the, Oh yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It took like 12 hours to charge the battery Uh and then it lasted like three weeks. I don't know how (laughs) randomly flip over for no reason. Yeah. But we take that or our bikes or something and we just go for miles. And my dad's way of calling us home was he would just hit the panic alarm on his truck and you know, that would echo for a ways. And so then that would be our calling to come home and have dinner. And I'm so grateful for that lifestyle. And, you know, we would, we would run barefoot in the fields until our feet became hooves. I mean, (laughs) it was, it was ridiculous, but you know, I just have memories of playing with like cleavers and calling them sticky plants and using them to decorate, uh, like little tree forts and stuff that we'd make in the bushes. And so 
or, you know, I, I remember yeah. being in my grandfather's garden and I would tear apart his beautiful irises. I'm so sorry, grandpa, <laughs> his beautiful irises and, and, and flowering plants that he had. And I would grind them together with stones, which is so interesting to think about that when is, you think about ancestry and how it yeah. is like embedded in us. That yeah. I knew to do that. Nobody's taught me that, yeah. you know, but I would grind them together and I would make potions or uh-huh. perfumes. They smelled terrible, Jeremy. They smelled so <laughs> bad, but I was like, but to me, they smelled amazing. Cause I was like, this is nature. Like I'm and making you made the most it. natural perfume you could ever think of, you yeah. know, but I guess kind of long story short, uh, my dad was actually the one that really instilled in me a love of like foraging and, you know, connecting with, with the land. And so I grew up not necessarily learning medicinal plants from him right away. Um, it was more like picking berries or learning about different types of kind of like food resources and, and sure. more of that like wildlife survival type of a thing. But it was actually very interesting because later in life, because, you know, we, we have separate kind of beliefs, like politically and stuff like that. Um, and we, you know, we can have a good debate once in a while, <clears throat> but yeah we always really connected on our love of the outdoors and and all of those things. And he was a wonderful, wonderful teacher in that way. But what was really interesting is later in life, I, I came back from grad school and, you know, after you come from like the higher ed and stuff like that. um, And I was living in the city, I had been living in the city for, you know, almost a decade at this point. And I came back to very rural Montana to spend time with my grandmother and to just kind of get my feet under me while we were looking for the start of our career and um, all of that. And I was just like, you know what? I I don't have a job right now. And I'm in this kind of state of limbo and I'm really kind of feeling this disconnect with nature. Um, I haven't really been able to be in a place where I could explore that for a really long time. And I'm back in the mountains again. And I was just like, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in herbalism and it's been something that's been calling to me for a long time in my life. And I had been thinking about that. And then it was actually really funny. I was watching American horror story <laughs> and, um, you know, Which I just one? saw one at coven. Obviously. Of course. That's like, obviously. <laughs> well, and I think part of it too, cause I went to grad school in new Orleans. So I was kind of missing New Orleans ah, a little bit. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Like, you know, what? I'm just going to kind of dive into this. It really tap into Halloween it. And, But anyway, I saw one of the witches on there doing stuff with herbs and it kind of clicked again where I was like, okay, I've been thinking about this for a while. I feel like this is kind of a sign. And so then that day I just started looking up like herbal classes online and I discovered the Herbal Academy, which is a really comprehensive online school that that a lot of people um, know about and are familiar with, but started kind of dabbling in it there. But what's so special about this is I went home to my dad's house for, for Christmas that year. And all of a sudden he had all these like tinctures out. And I was like, what the hell? Like, I just learned about this. And I was like, and he had not done that. Our, our, like all growing up, he had never made medicinal medicine. I knew he studied botany in college and had like a a really strong interest in it, obviously. Uh Yeah. But um, yeah, I came home for that Christmas and, and he was messing around with tinctures and everything. And he, he was like, yeah, you know, I've always had an interest in this. I never really pursued it until now. And he's like, now I have a lot more free time on my hands and he was making salves and all this kind of stuff. And I was just like, how crazy is it? That is that so we crazy. Both, like started pursuing this at the same time. And it's again, that thing that connects us, like he and I, when we get together, we can just nerd out about plants and herbalism Yeah. till the end of time. You yeah. Know? And so 
so yeah, it was just something that, that really connected us. And then I just started pursuing it kind of in my early twenties and then wanted, I always, of course, wanted to, to understand more about the spiritual side of herbalism. I'm of course interested in the sciencey part of it, but you know, Western herbalism as it stands, doesn't really appeal to me yeah. that much, Yeah, but I've always been drawn to Irish culture, always felt it in my bones. Just, I could hear Irish music and it spoke to me on such a soul level, um, have wanted to visit Ireland for as long as I can freaking remember. Yeah. <laughs> and so actually moving here to Colorado, I saw uh, one of Tanya's classes on, on the way of the wild witch. And this was something that I was trying to lean into was more of my witchy side and, yeah. you know, trying to understand that side of myself. And when I went to her class and she, you know, set up an altar in this really cool, um, sacred circle, and she just started talking about what a witch was to her and in her tradition. And it was just like pfft, fireworks went yeah. off. And I was like, this is exactly how I feel about it. Like the way she described magic and the way that she described her tradition was exactly how I felt. And so just felt such a strong connection with her and really wanted to take her apprenticeship. And of course, you know, COVID was crazy. And so um, that year I couldn't really do it. But then this last year I was able to, to take that training with her and it just, changed everything. It changed my entire life to be able to connect to herbalism in the way of my ancestors. Yeah. Um, and not, you know, not all of my ancestry is from Ireland. I have a lot of Scandinavian descent and French and German, which I do want to start exploring more as well, but to really connect to something that I felt a longing for in my soul for so long was truly magical. I, I mean, that's about as much you, magic you can imagine <laughs> in yeah. the sense of the word. So, so long I, story short, it's, it's been kind of a ebb and flow throughout my life with it being come, becoming more of a passion and something I want to do more full time in my life, a lot more in like the last five, six years, I would say. I love that. It's been a constant too. I, yeah. I love that it's something that's come up time and time again. I, I just, I think that's amazing. And I love the fact that provides something for your family to still connect on while other things might be challenging to connect on. I just think that mm-hmm. that's a beautiful thing that um, herbalism and, and kind of the study and love of plants has provided for you. What place would you say herbalism plays? Uh, we touched on this kind of already, but I, I just to kind of bring it up candidly, uh, what place does herbalism play in your life? And in particularly, what place does it play in kind of your own magical process and your own magical practice? Mm. Yeah, that's a really good question. I guess herbalism in my kind of magical life and in my daily life is that I feel like herbs are the conduit through which I experience magic on a daily basis or is more my spiritual practice. Like I'm not somebody who is super good at like other types of divination. I would say like I dabble in tarot. Yeah. I dabble in runes. I dabble in all of the kind of witchy things, but plants is where I feel it's a gateway. Yeah. Plants is where I feel spirit. Right? Like, like when I'm making my herbal infusions at night, that's my way of speaking intention into what I hope the herbs will help me to achieve the next day. Or I express gratitude back to the land or through the plants, I'm learning how to better connect to the the lunar cycles and and learning that lunaria, right. And, and how to make medicines 
that's under a certain lunar energy and how they'll have a different impact than a different time of the month, right? Or learning how to live in harmony with the seasons and how in the fall we should be consuming and working with medicines because that's where the energy of nature is at that point in time. That's where the healing is. Whereas in the spring, we're working with all the little baby sprouts and (laughs) greenery, right? So yeah, I, I think it's just more of my connection to my spirituality and um, my daily divination is, is through the plants in addition to, you know, bringing plants in for nourishment and, and physical healing as well. Hey, paranormal weirdos. I truly hope you're enjoying this week's episode so far. If you're enjoying when walls can talk the podcast, I humbly welcome you to consider making a financial contribution to the When Walls Can Talk tip jar to ensure I can continue to create episodes like this one for seasons to come. Your financial support helps to cover operating costs like recording equipment, editing software, marketing materials, music rights, and helps with the purchase of books, historical publications, and research materials to ensure that every episode is as professional and as well-constructed as we possibly can. If you're interested in making a small contribution, and let me tell you that no amount is too little, please feel free to hop on over to PayPal where you can tip us through my email, jeremy at whenwallscantalktarot.com, or on Cash App through money sign Jeremy Haig. That's money sign J-E-R-E-M-Y-H-A-I-G. There's also a support link in the show notes for this and every episode where you can support us directly as well. Thank you so much for listening to my little sales pitch and for sticking with me through this episode so far. And now, let's get back to the show. So say I was an, a newbie listening to kind of you share all of this and this was like really ringing true to me and I wanted to learn more about like what an herbalist does and what they believe and how kind of what they're what their, their rituals are like and what kind of the, the day in the life, I suppose, like what, what is that life kind of like? And, and could you help paint a picture for me? Yeah. So I feel like I can't answer this question. I feel like nobody could (laughs) without getting a little bit on my soapboxy. (laughs) Oh, no, please. Like, this is a great place. No, please. So herbalism is accessible to everybody. And that is something I feel extremely strongly about. This is something that guaranteed somebody in your lineage did at one point, it might be as soon as your, your grandmother, honestly, like, I think people are surprised to learn how much herbalism is interwoven into our lineage, especially because, you know, herbalism was demonized, right? Yeah. Like just like witchcraft, yeah. it was demonized as something evil, even because it, it, it gave us that sense of community and that sense of empowerment and healing and all of the things. But when I, the reason I bring that up is because anybody can be an herbalist and it doesn't take a crazy amount of professional training and thousands of dollars and um, all of these things that, that we feel like we need, especially in a, in a world where we feel like we need to pay tons of money for degrees and stuff like that. Um, herbalism is the people's medicine and it's as simple as I think we were talking about it earlier. You know, it's as simple as you can grow herbs in a windowsill and start working with them, right? You can start connecting with them in whatever way feels right to you. And And I'm not saying, you know, that you should open up a shop tomorrow and call yourself an herbalist and start 
you know, recommending yeah. certain tinctures to people or certain herbal blends, because of course there's a lot to learn. And it, when you want to work with somebody who puts their trust and faith into you, you should have some sort of formal training, yeah. but I don't, I guess what I'm getting at is that you don't have to, you know, use this really expensive program that costs $10,000 when you can work with a community herbalist who might, you know, mentor you for helping in their shop or something like that. Like yeah. there's, there's many ways to, to get into something like this, or even just starting to, to read books. There's so many herbal books out there that have really incredible content that you can really start diving into. But I guess uh, an herbalist is, is somebody who just starts working with herbs, plain and simple. So if you want to start working with them in your garden, you can, or I think a lot of us don't even realize, you know, we were talking about this earlier too, Jeremy, that a lot of us don't even realize how much we, we work with herbs on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, you know, in your kitchen, I guarantee you have a lot of <laughs> herbs in your spice cabinet that provide a lot of benefits to you that you probably don't even realize, or, yeah. you know, a bag of tea that you pick up at the grocery store and herbal tea that's working with herbs. You yeah. Know? So there's many ways to go about it and start pursuing that, but there's no such thing as like an herbal certification. For example, I think a lot of people get kind of hung up on that. Yeah. You can get a certificate from a certain type of program that you have gone through, but there is no like board. Official. That, yeah. That signs you off and says, yep, you're an herbalist now. The tarot's you know? the same way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so it is something that's really accessible. And honestly, I encourage people to really start reclaiming this type of healing and this type of knowledge because it was something that belonged to us and it always has belonged to us and it doesn't have to be lost you know yeah. um we can bring it back so so yeah i hope that's <laughs> no that's you that's for. a beautiful answer and i wanted to kind of like kind of take something you mentioned and go off on or elaborate on it a little bit too just talking about ancestors and it's something that that I really kind of had my eyes open to with Lindsay through the lens of tarot, but I think it's identical through the lens of herbalism too, is this idea of as we reclaim our own wild nature, our own intuitive spirit-led communication with these things, whether they be plants or whether they be these 78 archetypal cards, what we're doing is we're, we're healing generational trauma. Mm-hmm. We're healing. I, I really, truly believe that like when I come to my tarot deck, when I call upon my spirit guides and my ancestors and my ascended masters and kind of all the, the litany that I call upon whenever I pull a card or, or pull for a client or anything like that. I also believe that my ancestors are standing right here with me who would have been vilified for doing what I'm doing. And by my choosing to not only proudly um, practice, not that, not that you can't have a closet practice too. And that's equally proud. But what I mean by that is like, like deciding that it's something that's important and a part of you that that's what I mean by like proud. And by, by not only that, by also calling them to experience that with you, you're allowing the ancestors to heal their own trauma with you. It's something that I, I really do believe I it's, this is also what I kind of um, envision when I think of three of cups in the tarot it's this come together, it's this call together. And while it can be like the ritual card of the coming together with like-minded individuals, it's also the coming together of self, inner child, ascended master, inner wise one, passed on loved ones. And kind of by using our hands and, and using these tools that have been provided to us, we are 
we're bringing to a closure some intense trauma that our, our ancestors were, were put through. And I just wanted to like meditate on that for a second. Cause it's just a really powerful thing to think about mm-hmm. in terms of like what a difference that makes in ancestral lines and kind of being the change of reclaiming that and passing it on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's what I love about reclaiming of the word, witch itself, because yeah witches were were the healers they were the midwives they were the folks that the community called upon to bring exactly what you're talking about um and i think you know we we think about healing as like medicine itself but medicine could be just that sense of community and that community support right and and neighbors looking out for neighbors there's so much medicine in that and when we work together as a collective that's scary for, for folks who are in positions of authority, right. Or feel like they're going to lose power. Uh, cause when we're individual, it's much easier to separate us and and tear apart that network than it is when we're a unit together. And so I think that's what would make our ancestors probably smile more than anything is for us to push back on separation or this lack of community and come together as community again, because that's what I think led to so much trauma for our ancestors was that separation that happened and that pulling apart of communities and that support system and people being kind of pinned against one each one another is really what led to so much collapse. You yeah. Know? I mean, Salem witch trials is like a textbook example Right. Which we've already covered on the show, but like, that's a a clear example of it. It was a case of people turning against people, neighbor turning against neighbor, a society being ripped apart by suspicion and doubt and fear. Mm -hmm. What would you, what do you think the difference or similarities, I guess, between kind of some modern herbalists or people who are actively engaging with herbs and plants now that differs from kind of our ancient counterparts? Oh, that's, that's an interesting question as well. Yeah. And I I don't know, because there's so many different paths of herbalism, right? There's, there's like Western herbalism versus Eastern herbalism. And, you know, there's um, paths to pursue like ancestral herbalism, which I would consider myself to be on that path. Okay. Um, Or, you know, there, there's, there's very clinical herbalism. So maybe that's probably the one that I would think is different, um, Uh from the way that our ancient ancestors probably would have practiced. Um, and, and not necessarily saying it's a bad thing, you know, it's, it's that we have had much more revolution when it comes to science, right. And our understanding of things like germs, even (laughs) (laughs) yeah, no, it's true how they impact us and, and, you know, the incorporation of technology and our understanding of the human body from an anatomy perspective and how everything kind of works together. And I would say clinical herbalism is a little bit different from like holistic medicine in that, and and, and not always, again, I I don't want to generalize or anything like that, but you know, there might be a little bit more of a focus on more of an allopathic type of an approach to, to healing where it's like, you take this herb for this ailment sort of a thing. And um, again, there's, there's, it's just a different way of kind of uh, pursuing it. It's much more science-based and maybe there's not as much of the, the spirituality or the, um, kind of mind, body, spirit connection. Yeah. Um, 
as like maybe our ancestors would have practiced back in the day. And then of course, you know, today in herbalism, we have things like shipping <laughs> where Good point. you know it's it's much more accessible to you know be able to access an herb that comes from a very remote part of the world that we probably wouldn't access back in the day um and so so as part of kind of pursuing um ancestral herbalism this was really important to uh Tanya's teaching that I so appreciate is is can we go back to working with the herbs that our ancestors would have been familiar with versus, you know, trying to incorporate all of these, like, you know, fancy trendy plants, which have their place. I'm not saying that they don't, but especially for, for someone like me personally, who is of European descent, I probably wouldn't have worked with herbs like ashwagandha or turmeric or these other herbs that come from more Eastern parts of the world. Uh Um, And while they're still incredibly healing plants, I don't want to say that they're not, or that there's not a place for them. My ancestors probably wouldn't have been familiar with them, but there is something that is similar in my lineage that would have had similar properties. And can we, can we kind of go back to that? And the reason that, that that's so important as well, and something that I've really learned through Tanya's teachings is that well, not, not just Tanya's teachings, but also with uh, meeting herbalists like Regina from In Her It Blooms, where especially kind of in Western herbalism, the kind of thing that gets swept under the rug a bit that I hope we bring more light to is the fact that things like erasure can really happen yeah. or appropriation, which yeah. I think in the kind of holistic world, there's, there's starting to be more knowledge and acknowledgement of things like this, but taking plants from other cultures that don't belong to us and and using them or profiting off of them is, is a huge problem. And so if we, if we go back to our own lineage, there's less likely of a chance of us, of a of us appropriating another culture, right. Or, Or taking something that doesn't belong to us. And also in doing that, you learn more about the way your ancestors might've lived and, and how their relationship with the land and what it looked like. Right. So, so yeah, I think that's, kind of coming full circle here. That's probably the way things might be a little bit different. Yeah, no, I think that's a beautiful answer and a great kind of slight pivot in, I kind of wanted to, to use this to jump off and talk a little bit about foraging, or if I remember the term correctly, is that wild crafting? Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that, the I, right? I think they're kind of interchangeable. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't <laughs> sure if that was correct or, but I, I just wanted to talk a little bit about like what is that? How do you do it? How can we be the best like ethical and how can we practice like safe and ethical treatment of plants or of things that we're wildcrafting? Again, huge, huge concept, but I was just curious if maybe you could help kind of enlighten us a little bit on like what that means and how, if that's something we're interested in being a part of, we can be sure that we're treating both the plants, the earth, ourself with respect. Yeah. I'm so, so glad you asked this question. And honestly, I think this is something that even I'm still scratching the surface on and wanting to educate myself further about because, you know, things are always in a constant state of evolution and it's important to continue to, to grow in, in these areas. But the, the biggest thing that I can say is research, 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 yeah. um, before you ever take a foot out the door to go say, Hey, I'm going to go wild crafting or I'm going to go foraging it's so important to do some research and the the things that you want to really study are plant identification. (laughs) Of course, like you don't want to go out and, um, you know, harvest something that ends up being incredibly toxic. (laughs) We don't want to do that. 
Um, so learning how to properly identify plants, making sure you have a guidebook that's local to your area. And the thing that I think is the most important is going out with somebody that is very knowledgeable in wild plants, especially for your area. I don't think I could stress that enough. I mean, you can do as much as you can with a guidebook, but even plants kind of have little nuances that can make them hard to identify. Yeah. And sometimes it takes somebody with like kind of a keen eye to really know and and learn how to properly identify a plant. And also you'll learn more from somebody else, right? Like there's, I'm always encouraging people to continue to, to learn from as many different people as they can, because all folks have something to offer. So yeah, plant identification is key. I recommend also learning about what plants are sacred to the land that you're on. It's, it's so important to recognize plants that probably shouldn't be harvested because they don't belong to our lineage, or we, we might be guests on this land. And this is especially true for, for folks who live in the United States. It might not be necessarily as true for folks who live in other parts of the world, Sure, but just recognizing things like white sage, it's, it's incredibly sacred to indigenous peoples of this land. Right. And so going out and harvesting it is problematic because of the fact that it's been over harvested. Yeah. And so that's taking away from, from people who, who really have a, a, an important relationship with that plant. And along that line too, is recognizing what plants might be endangered or over harvested um, yeah. because we shouldn't contribute to that cycle. Right. So those are some of the things that I think are incredibly important to research before taking a step out the door and then continuing to do this ethically. It's important to only take, you know, one to 10 or excuse me, 10% of any kind of stand that you see. So literally if there's 10 plants there, so let's say there's 10 dandelions, let's just throw that plant out there. Yeah. (laughs) If there's 10 dandelions, it means you take one, Yeah. you know? So it's just really important to make sure that you're not over harvesting or taking away from a healthy stand. Also, when you approach a plant that you wish to harvest, you know, take some time to kind of observe the land that it's sitting upon and and look for things like, is this plant looking like it's experiencing disease? Or do you notice that it looks like something's been eating it? You know, is this an important food source for the other wild beings that we share this land with? And is it really right for you to take something if something else is depending on it? Or are there nests built in it? Or are there signs of, you know, something else interacting with it? And maybe that's the stand that you leave alone because something else calls it home, you know? Yeah. So just paying attention to stuff like that. And then if you do harvest, it's always important to ask permission first. And, and for somebody who might be new to herbalism or new to uh, spirituality or anything like that, that might seem kind of like a weird thing to say, but again, we all know how to do this. There's some ancient part of us that always understood how to communicate with the natural world. And I think you'll be surprised if you go and literally you can speak it out loud. You can speak it in your mind's eye and just ask permission and you will guaranteed receive a yes or a no. And if it's a no, you need to respect that because there's a reason for it. Yeah. It could be that the plant has a disease that it's working through, or it could be that it's in a process of growth and it's not quite ready to be harvested, but there's always a reason and it's a valid reason. We should respect that reason and not question it. If it's a no, but if you get a yes, it'll be like this very enthusiastic, like Labrador, like <laughs> energy that the plant <laughs> wants to work with you. Yeah. you know? So, so it's always a very special experience. So make sure that you spend some time, you know, getting to know 
the plant and, and communicating with it. And then after harvesting, it's always good to, to leave an offering and return that, that reciprocal energy. Right. So that can be, you know, even just singing to the plant or leaving a stone or leaving a piece of your hair, because you're leaving literally a piece of you with the plant when you have taken a piece of the plant with you, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. And just, of course, expressing gratitude a full heart, full of gratitude, thanking the plant for literally it's giving you its life. Force, it's existence. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's giving you so much and recognizing that and acknowledging that and expressing thanks for it is so important. And then the other thing I think is important is to, to think about how you can be a steward of the land. And so is the plant potentially in seed? Can you help spread its seed and help it go farther one thing I really like to do is I'll take some of my water. I mean, if you're out in the woods, you should always have water. Yeah. <laughs> it's like nature survival 101. Right. Um, but taking some of your water and offering that to the plant because it's 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 a really beautiful thing to to give back something that's so sacred and, and vital to your your well-being as well, right? Yeah. And, and showing the plant that. So yeah, I, I think those are some of kind of the basics, but the most important thing is, is again, research, making sure you know your stuff before you walk out the door. So again, a beautiful answer (laughs) way more than I, I feel like none of these answers are very short and succinct. No, it's perfect. It's great because (laughs) like, as you were going, one of my next questions was about to be like, how much of a stand should I take? How much? And you answered it immediately. So there's just so much of kind of my questions that are bubbling to mind. I will say also the kind of thing that I'm left here sitting with contemplating is, and I also, it's, it's again, really similar to my journey with tarot is that herbalism isn't really just a practice. It's more of a state of being. Oh, yes. And, (laughs) and it's a, it's a, it's a very specific perspective that we choose to take or try to choose to keep ourselves in. I think that's the place that many newbies may find a little, um, with every aspect of spiritual life, this is not just herbalism, maybe a little bit uncomfortable or a little different because what you're doing is you are consciously making a choice to change your perspective from what society has told you should be your viewpoint, should be the goggles with which you look through and experience the world. Mm -hmm. And we're saying, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and shift this. And that's really hard for your brain to handle. Because your, your brain understands how to play the rules of the game. It understands what it takes to succeed, to stay alive, to survive really at its, at its core. And that sometimes like you have to really choose to be a little foolish to pull from the, our protagonist of the tarot, the fool. We choose to allow to be a little foolish in the world's view in order to, to align with something different. And I think what we're really tapping into when we talk about it here is that different is actually not that different at all. It's just perhaps a little forgotten. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm still stuck on that phrase you just said to be foolish in the way that the world view. Yeah. Um, There's so much to unpack there when you think about it, because when you do something different from what society deems as normal, even like a path to success. For example, if you were to divert from that path, immediately people always say like, oh, you're crazy. I I can't believe you would do something like that. But even if it brings you the most happiness or brings you back in harmony, 
that's not foolish, but yeah. in society's view, they, they, it's, it's, it's hard because a lot of us in this culture don't see value in things like happiness. If it's yeah. not equating to tons of financial money, gain. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's just such an interesting phrase and something I'm going to really sit on. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting with a lot of kind of what you've been sharing. Cause it's a really interesting and it's so much bigger than just, and I, I did know this. It's it's not like I th- this part's not a huge surprise that it's so much bigger than just the the working with plants and the use of your hands and that like the ancestral piece. It's it's even bigger than that, which is something I'm gonna have to really like sit with and process, which I really I appreciate. I'm really really interested in and excited by. One other thing that you mentioned a second ago that I was just curious, and I know that not all herbalists work with plants in this way, but I was just curious if it's ever come up for you, do you have any relationship spiritual or otherwise with like noxious or poisonous plants? I love this question. Really? (laughs) Yes. So actually poison plants is something that I have a really, uh, actually I'm very interested in. Um, I haven't gotten to work with them as much as I would like to. I'm there's not, I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of fear around it. And I want to work with somebody who's very trained in working. Yeah, no, absolutely. And this is not me encouraging anybody to go try (laughs) it. It it is definitely like an experienced because I don't feel like, and please correct me if I'm wrong. I've never really taken herbalism courses, but I don't feel like it's something that's quite as prevalent in terms of education. Is that fair or is that not fair? I would, I would say that's fair. Yeah. But you know, I've worked with poison plants in the form of a flower essence. Okay. And so, um, for folks who don't know what like a flower essence is, it's actually medicine. That's looking at the vibrational quality of a plant. Okay. Instead of a tincture, for example, which is literally extracting medicine, medicinal properties from a plant through a menstruum, like alcohol where you actually, you know, let the the plant material sit in that alcohol for at least a month and it pulls those properties out. And then you actually take the tincture. Okay. Um, a flower uh, essence instead is you actually let a plant sit in like a bowl of water and you let it sit under the sun and the water absorbs the vibrational energy of that plant. Okay. And so from there, then it's diluted down a lot. It's actually diluted down, I think, uh, three times total. Oh, wow. So literally if there's any plant material in it, it's, it's not really there. It's, yeah. it's literally like the plant is removed from the water and you just, it's like an that, energetic that. fingerprint. Is right. Left behind. Exactly. Yeah, totally. So that's where I've kind of worked with poison plants. Like I, I have a Datura essence that I really like to work with. And so Poison plants are really interesting because it's more about the lessons that they can offer versus like the actual, like internal usage of the plant. Totally. Yeah. And so what's really interesting about poison plants is that they're really connected to like the underworld. And Mm. if folks are interested in this, I really recommend checking out an account on Instagram called Persephone's path, I believe. And so what's really interesting and in, in some of the stuff that she shares that I find so fascinating is, is this connection with the underworld and the shadow, right? And uh-huh. that's what poison plants really call us to look into is, is that shadow part of ourselves because you can't have light without darkness, of right? Course. Of course. And so what's interesting about these plants too, is that they, they really teach us things about boundaries or 
being really clear in your intention before you approach a plant of this nature. And we talk a lot about this actually in our, one of our herb corners on Ouija boards and midnight Mars, where we talk about Belladonna. I have like 8 billion disclaimers in that (laughs) of the fact it's a poison plant. Yeah. Uh, But, but yeah, it's, it's just such an interesting concept and something I'd like to learn a lot more about, but what's so fascinating, I think for me too, is anytime I've done like a a plant meditation and ask for an herbal ally to come forward, I get foxglove so many times. And whenever somebody asks that question, like, do you have an herbal ally? That's the first one that comes to mind before any kind of actual like medicinal plant, for some reason, foxglove just like flashes forward in my mind of, Hey, this is, this is who you are. Yeah. And I haven't gotten to explore her a whole lot. It's something that I'm really interested in and drawn to. And anytime I see her, I'm just taken aback. Like she's just such a beautiful, beautiful plant. But I feel like there's a lot of lessons I'm being called to learn. To from learn her. from. Yeah. Um, it's the same whenever a, a tarot card keeps coming up over and over again. It's like there's oh, yeah. still more lessons to learn. I, I think not always, but sometimes it's like, there's just, there's, or you're in a longer period with this card or in this case, this plant. Yeah. And, and it's so interesting too, because poison plants have been used medicinally in the past. They're not so much used now, unless it's within like a very rigid lab res- laboratory, yeah, yeah. right? Where, where people have a lot of control over how these plants are <laughs> extracted and whatnot. But foxglove actually has it under the right dosage and under the right supervision and, and practice and everything, but it can actually be supportive for the heart and chronic heart disease or heart oh, wow. attacks and stuff like that. Again, my disclaimer here for anyone listening is right. please don't go out and take foxglove without yeah, right. super, super strict supervision. But yeah, it actually can, in a very controlled dosage, have medicinal properties. But yeah, it's just it's super fascinating and super interested in learning more about it. What is a plant ally or an herbal ally? I think there's probably many who have never heard that specific phrase. And I was just curious, generally, um, you've shared a little bit about how yours has kind of shown up for you, but how in general do plant allies kind of show themselves to you? Oh yeah. There's a lot there too. Yeah, I know. I love all these (laughs) questions you're asking. Um, So actually, you know, the the term plant ally itself is something I feel like I'm still kind of exploring and and wanting to kind of further that definition as well. And putting Um, it into some like spiritual context or something. Yeah, but yeah. I think there's a couple ways that that like the term plant ally is used in in herbalism. So there is the spiritual connotation of seeing a plant ally maybe through like meditation with plants and meeting the spirit of that plant and the spiritual lessons that that plant might have for you. Yeah. So I've experienced something like that working with yarrow where I'm somebody who deals a lot with things like imposter syndrome. Yeah. But I've had Yarrow speak to me through a plant meditation led by Tanya, of course, <laughs> where she got a little tough lovey with me. Yeah. And was like, and this was a point in time where I had been getting a little slacky on, on my herbal studies. I was letting kind of what was happening in the world at the time creep in too much and upset my routine and, and all of the things. First of all, she held this space where she said, you know, this, and you know who you are. And it's external things that cause you to question who you are. 
but I want to be the one to remind you that you know who you are. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons that plants can teach us, right? Is that remembering of who we are. We get too caught up in, in the what ifs or, you know, do we know enough? Yeah. But I guess other, other ways that that the term plant ally can be used is if you're experiencing a certain state of dis-ease, right. And, and I use that, that word intentionally, because I I love it. And it's something that I feel like is really prominent in herbalism is when you experience illness, you are in a state of dis-ease. A disease is not necessarily defining you or happening to you, right? It's more of a, a state you're in, but certain plants might appear to you or have more of those properties that you're looking for to help alleviate whatever ailment or whatever state you are going through. And, and oftentimes we can call upon them as allies for that purpose. So um, let's say you're experiencing something, let's, let's say you're experiencing grief, right? An ally that you might call upon or something that you are seeking for support through that point in time is maybe, maybe is Hawthorne. Hawthorne's really, really good for the heart um, and the emotional heart. And especially for things like grief or, or motherwort might be another one that we might call upon. And so allies can be there for certain states of time as well. But for some too, you know, your herbal ally is just a plant that you feel a super, super strong connection with. And that can be physically and spiritually, emotionally, it's just an herb that you keep coming back to, or, you know, you might try to work with another herb, but just feel yeah. this calling back. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so it could be something like that too, where you just have allies that kind of hang out with you throughout your life and you always feel connected to. And, and for me, you know, I've had some that, that really stick with me like nettle. I feel like will always be an ally for me throughout my entire life because I just feel such a strong connection to it. And I don't see that ever going away. But sometimes too, you know, if you kind of open yourself up, you might have somebody that comes through for that season or somebody that is there through a state of being that you're going through or a situation you're in that they might show up for you and you feel more drawn and called to work with that plant at that time. Or, you know, like in in our um, apprenticeship, I'm going through a second one now, the herbs that we're working with for that month are our allies for that month. There's a reason that our teacher was called to work with those herbs for that month and is sharing them with us. And so we're connecting with them in that way too. So yeah. there's, I guess, a couple different layers of, of ally and then how they show up for you. So again, a, not a simple answer. No, but it also again, yet again, and I, I swear I'm not trying to sound like a broken record here, but again, what you're describing reminds me of um this is a term that Lindsay's coined but i think it, it kind of exists as a concept in tarot in general um and that's tarot anchoring and that's this mm. idea of like whether or not i'm pulling a card or not whether i'm on the go whether i'm living my life what are the cards that i can turn to when the going gets really rough and i know their energy well enough that they're going to be there to provide medicine for me And so what I hear you describing in Plant Ally reminds me a lot of a practice of tarot anchoring. And tarot anchoring can be done even just with like closing your eyes and saying, okay, what card wants me to know them today? What card is stepping forward? And then you could also, of course, go to a deck and pull a single card and say, what's my anchor for the day? And I have a couple spreads, some of which we've done on Monthly Tarot Magic on the podcast, where the final card in the spread is either like a promise or what's my anchor or what's my, like, what's the thing I can fall back on. And I feel like that's similar in terms of what herb, what plant can I 
call upon to help me. Um, I just, I really don't think I realized quite how similar the approach of herbalism and tarot are, at least in the, yeah. the type of tarot that I try to do, which I also think is a little unusual. So maybe I should quantify that by saying soul tarot. I don't know. Just to like, this is my experience and there might be others on here who might not see the similarity as clearly. But to me, I, I'm just reminded so much of kind of the ideals and the foundational drives that I approach the tarot with in both of these. Honestly, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. And, and what's coming to mind is, is tapping into consciousness, right? Like yeah. herbs obviously have consciousness and that's something that we work with. And I feel like the way that you approach tarot as well, that maybe other people don't see it as, is you don't see tarot as just the cards, right? Like tarot. It's a living, breathing thing. Right. It's that conduit through which you're working with things like spirit and tapping into that state of consciousness. And so it's it's much deeper than that. And the the card itself is just the the message. Access point. Yeah, exactly. The access (laughs) point. The like down. I totally see how they connect. I. I'm sitting here realizing that we could talk about this forever. <laughs> I you about it. <laughs> no, I know. And I, I like, uh, maybe we should, maybe we should plan to come back for part two. I do feel like this is a beautiful place now. I kind of want to turn this around now and loop our, our, our listeners into this episode a little bit. And I wondered if you could help maybe share some like simple, accessible ways that maybe we could start to include herbalism or work with plants and herbs in our own day-to-day lives, whether that be specifically in a spiritual practice or whether that be in teas, like you've already mentioned a few, honestly. So we can kind of just like build off of what we've already started. But I think that I know that there are people like myself, because I am one of them, who are anxious to bring the magic that is capable within the world of herbalism into my life. And I wondered if you could just help kind of give me some access points. Yeah. So the very first access point that I'm going to recommend is I think anybody who really wants to dive into herbalism or deepening their connection with nature should absolutely read Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. That is an absolutely foundational book that speaks to indigenous knowledge and understanding the reciprocal relationship that we have with nature. And I think it's just the absolute gateway into, to building that relationship and, and building that foundation. So it's, it's not necessarily a book about herbalism at all, but I think it's key to understanding being on this path. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing too, I think that a lot of people, when they want to start learning about herbalism, get really overwhelmed because there's a lot there. Yeah. And Instead of, you know, trying to learn all that you can, right? Start taking it in manageable chunks. And I think the best thing, and and I've heard other herbalists talk about this too. And actually, uh, even Samuel Nez, who is on our show on Ouija Boards and Midnight Marks, who's an incredible herbalist and curandero, he talks a lot about it too, but just finding one herb that you connect with. And learning all you can about that one herb and starting off slowly that way. Not only will that help you understand more about like the medicinal properties of an herb, but you can also learn the the magical properties of an herb or how to take care of that, how to grow it and, and further your relationship with that plant. You can start learning communication and start 
listening for the messages and the lessons that they have to share with you. And if there's an herb that's calling to you, there's a reason for it. If there's one that just stands out to you all of the time, maybe it's just the rosemary that's in your spice cabinet. There's a reason for that. And you should really lean into it and and explore that. But I think that's one of the easiest, most accessible ways to start. But also, you know, there's, there's tons of resources and incredible herbalists online or on Instagram, on TikTok, YouTube. We're really in a really beautiful time. I do think that we often demonize the internet and things like social media, but the beautiful side of it too, is that there's so much more accessibility to a network that we probably would never have right? Yeah. if we, if we didn't have these types of tools at our disposal. I, I mean, Jeremy, you, yeah, we wouldn't have met, met <laughs> <laughs> which I think is really cool. You know, just, it, just exploring some of the folks that are online, I think is really important or um, a really good opportunity. And then books, you know, there's, there's so many books that are available at our disposal. And I, I would like to become a well-rounded spiritualist and I really want to kind of use that journey for this podcast which is I get to have beautiful conversations like this one which I I can't thank you enough for kind of helping enlighten me because truly I'm being enlightened along with all of you listeners this is this is something no I really am this is something that I've never really sat down and talked about I guess selfishly before we go I wondered um as you were talking about what herb just kind of even in your home stands out, mine has always been time. Mine Mm. has always been time. I think it's like my favorite flavor of any herb, but now I want to do a little more research into like what time means and what time's for. And so this is a great place for the listeners too. If there's something like this, that's popping to your mind, like mine, this is a great jumping off point for your own research and your own journey. Cause that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And I, I deeply respect that about you, Jeremy. And I'm, I'm, I think that's one of the things that I definitely want to make sure we talk about before we close this episode, but Please. is, is that that concept. And, and I know we talk about it all of the time in our yeah. circle and, and on um, Ouija boards, we also talked about it too, but that concept of being an eternal student. Right. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, even, even though I've been studying herbalism for five, six years, I feel like I've barely even started. It feels like there's just so much to learn. And I always want to maintain that state of student because the plants have so much to teach me for one, but also I'll never know everything. Right. And, and that's okay. And that's honestly a gift to know that there's always going to be something to learn and to always be in that state of humbleness. I think I would be so bored. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. But I think that's the thing too, is, is especially if somebody wants to start looking at herbalism or tarot or whatever it is being okay with that, that student mentality and, and not feeling like you have to know everything at once. And if that makes you feel more valid or not, like it's, it's not going to, and it shouldn't, you shouldn't feel validated by feeling like you are an absolute master right from the beginning. Cause that's not the point. Right. Right. And I might challenge, I might challenge you or not you specifically, like I might challenge our listener. If you're approaching one of these areas like tarot or herbalism or runes or anything of that nature with the goal of reaching a finish line or the goal of mm-hmm. turning around and calling ourselves professionals. I will say from my own experience, there was the moment that I decided to go public with tarot and to start take, taking my own clients and my own readings. 
I was scared shitless. I remember that first reading vividly. I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know anything. <laughs> and, but like, that's, that is part of the journey. The part of the journey is like, I will probably always show up to tear readings for my clients having a moment of who am I to tell yeah. these people how to live their lives. And like, and that's a moment that it comes. I, I, I respect it. I acknowledge that it's there. We move on. We generally have a beautiful time together and whatever is meant to come through me comes through me. But I might challenge you to like really sit and consider not that you shouldn't do whatever it is that you're setting out to be a professional at or to be the best at or to be a, a, a guru or a, a mentor or a leader or a teacher, but like really consider why. And, just, and even if, even if that remains the same, that's cool. At least we approach it with the self-awareness that like, I want to be the best at this, damn it. And that's like, that's an okay <laughs> drive. Like, I think that's an okay driving factor for somebody totally. to like, to use that, to, to, to keep yourself on the path and keep yourself going. But just be, that self-awareness is important too. Like, why, why do we want to learn about this? Or what, what's our goal? Because having studied tarot now for, for four years, I think, which feels like nothing when you say that. Um, right. <laughs> it really does. I'm like, what am I talking about in four years? I still feel like the, 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 not only is the finish line never in sight, but I don't want it to be in sight. It's like that. I, I don't know that I would have the same relationship with tarot if there was ever to be a moment where I would turn around and be like, cool, I know everything there is to know. I don't need to study. I don't need to learn. I don't need to. I can just regurgitate because that's what it ends up becoming is I'm just regurgitating. I'm not mm-hmm. thinking critically. I'm not being creative. Yeah, I relate so much to what you said about, you know, starting to work with folks because I've started finally taking the leap to actually working with clients. And it's mostly like close friends of mine and stuff as I yeah. start um, exploring that space and, and getting more comfortable with it. But I've started creating custom formulations and I'm just like second guessing it constantly, yep. but also trying yep. to balance it with intuition and knowing that I've, I've learned these things, right? Yep. But <laughs> It is hard to take those first few steps and I know it'll, it'll get easier with time, but also trying to, to kind of be excited about being in that space of knowing that you're kind of stepping onto a new journey and yeah. the excitement that comes with that, even if it is a little scary. <laughs> totally. Well, then the other thing too is, and this might be specific to tarot, but I think you just referencing it too, in terms of the intuitive nature of working with herbs is the first time in a reading, which is generally like the very first reading that you catch yourself as you're like um, just kind of letting it channel through, you find yourself straying away from the definition that you've been taught for a card. And you're yeah. like, whoa, 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 what am I doing? No, but like, no, that's actually what, like, what you're meant to do. That's what we're meant to do. We're meant to use the energy of our client and the energy of their spirit team that's with us for that reading to deviate from the def, the, the quote unquote definition, because the definitions or the meanings per se are where we begin. And I think it's probably, I'm, I'm guessing it's fairly similar with herbs in terms of the like list of medicinal qualities is just where we begin with them. Then we learn how they like to exist together and uh, what mediums they like to exist inside of. And it's kind of making me excited, honestly, because it makes me feel like, okay, maybe I do know how to start a, a journey with herbs because I understand what it is to start a journey with tarot. Totally. And, and that totally transcends across the board because, you know, with, with herbalism, you learn your basic formula and how to make a blend that's specific for somebody. Right. But I can't remember where I read it, but that's what really changed things for me because I think it's really easy to get mathematical and calculated and 
linear about how to, to craft an herbal formulation. Right. But I remember reading somewhere where someone's like, you know, you have your basic formula, but then you get to be an herbalist by being a little creative yeah, and, and playing with, you could play with flavors. You could play with energetics or, or whatever that is, or play with what your intuition says. Like you might have a basic formula that you're trying to, to help somebody through some sort of ailment, but then, you know, there's an herb that pops up that says, Hey, I want to be part of that too. Mm-hmm. And we may not know why right away, but you're feeling it in your gut that it should be contributed to it. And so that's, that's what makes it fun. Right. And that's what makes it this beautiful experience is to be able to weave those things in as well. That's, and that's, I think when you become a tarot reader too, Yeah. because I think if I, if every time that I pulled chariot, I told my clients the exact same thing, I don't think I would have much interest in, I think I would, it would get, it would get stale. It would get old really quickly. And I think what makes magic so magical is that it's the, the weaving together of intuition and our tools. Well, Shale, I can't thank you enough for taking so much time to kind of help me and our listeners kind of crack open the world of herbalism. For all my listeners at the bottom of the show notes for each and every episode, Anchor has provided me a way to allow you guys to record voice messages for the podcast. And this is a great way too, that I've been asking the listeners, if you have additional questions for Shale on herbs or herbalism or anything else that we've been sharing about today, and you would be interested in us doing an additional kind of follow-up Q&A episode, please jump in that link. Um, It's very easy. It's like one button. You can record a message, it comes straight to me. And we can include it in the episode because I do think that we've only just begun to scratch the surface of everything that is herbalism. And I just want to like recognize that an hour and a half, an hour and 40 minutes is like not nearly enough time to really paint a full picture of this. But I would love to get our listeners involved. So please use those links if you want to get involved, want to get your questions in. And if we get enough, I will happily have Shale back to do a follow-up. We might do a follow-up anyway, but you know what I, I mean? I would love that. I'm, I'm always down to talk herbs. So, and, and hang out with you, Jeremy. I love hanging out with you. It's so, and I'm so glad that we got a chance to chat again. And I have a feeling that it'll only increase from here. Where, Absolutely. where can the listeners find you? So if they have more questions, want to just follow along in your life, want to see what's happening with um, your herbalism and with uh, thinning of the veil apothecary, where can they find you? Yeah. So, um, I'm most active on Instagram and TikTok. So if folks want to follow thinning of the veil apothecary, um, they can do so at thinning of the veil dot apothecary on Instagram and on TikTok, I'm at T O V a dot apothecary. So Tova is kind of the, the short the acronym sentiment that we have for her. Yeah. <laughs> but also you can definitely find me on Ouija boards and midnight Margs over with my co-host Cheyenne on our podcast. And we talk herbs a lot over there as well. We have a couple segments every season going forward now where we, we have an herb corner and we just nerd out on, on herbs and all of the plant things. So, well, thank you so much, Shale. And thank you. Uh, and I'm realizing we might have to do a part two. We never even got to Ireland. So I know. Please. Yeah. In, in, the me- <laughs> in the meantime, until we get to Ireland, this is a perfect uh, call to action. Hop on over to Ouija Boards and Midnight Margs, their premiere season or premiere episode for season three. It, it, can I, I guess it's already out. <laughs> what am I doing? I was, like, I was like, can I spoil it? <laughs> Has a lot to do with homecomings um, in various different forms. And obviously this was a big one for you. So yeah. um, definitely check out that episode, but I agree. We need to have you back to talk about Ireland in the near future. 
Oh, that's that's always a dream. I could right. go on about Ireland just as much as herbs. So I'll be, I'll be so, <laughs> sit here so jealous. My my Scottish ancestry will be so jealous. But hopefully, there's a day that I can talk about returning home to Scotland. Absolutely, and even if you do it in your heart, right? Yeah, that's, that's just as beautiful. So. No, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Shale, and thank you. Take care. This has been an episode of When Walls Can Talk, the podcast, written, researched, and edited by your host, Jeremy Haig. I would be honored if you'd consider one friend that you think might enjoy this episode and share it with them. There's nothing that brings me more joy than listening to episodes or songs that my friends recommend. So please share the love with your tribe. Listening on Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving us a rating or a comment so that this one-man operation can take off to a whole new group of listeners. Please don't forget to visit my website, www.whenwallscantalktarot.com to learn more about me, the show, and to purchase our brand new merch finally available on our online shop. Listeners to the podcast get an exclusive 10% off using the code WITCHCREW at checkout. Don't forget to reach out to me on Instagram at whenwallscantalk with underscores for spaces or email me at jeremy at whenwallscantalktarot.com. So long, paranormal adventures, and I will see you next time on When Walls Can Talk.